Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. We now return to our examination of the case presented by the defense. In episodes 16 through 21, we examined the testimony of defendant Travis McMichael. The only other witnesses called by the defense were residents of the Satilla Shores neighborhood. On this episode, we explore the testimony of four of those neighbors. We will begin that presentation right after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After Travis McMichael's testimony, the defense calls a series of individuals who live in the Satilla Shores neighborhood. The questioning of these witnesses is handled for the defense by Travis McMichael's attorneys, Jason Sheffield and Bob Rubin. Their strategy appears to be to use this testimony to support their narrative, as asserted in Rubin's opening, that Satilla Shores was an idyllic community until very recently, when intruders started committing crimes there, and that the community rallied using contemporary tools like Facebook to band together for mutual protection. We begin with the questioning of Satilla Shores resident Cindy Clark by Jason Sheffield. Ed? Any point in time as you were living in Satilla Shores, did you become aware of crime happening in the neighborhood? Yes. Okay. Generally speaking, what type of crime were you aware that was happening in the neighborhood? Petty crime, um, cars being broken into, um, things like that. Okay. Were you aware of whether guns had been stolen from cars in the neighborhood? Yes. Or were you aware of whether people were seen or spotted walking around the neighborhood at night? Yes. Okay. You just have to speak up just a little okay. bit. Okay. okay. Um, at any point in time, did you t undertake any precautions about your home, like putting up cameras or doorbell cameras or things like that? I did put up a doorbell camera, but I never hooked it up. Oh. <laughs> it was a waste. But um, yes, we, we took precautions. We locked our doors and we locked our cars at night. When you say we, who are you speaking of? My husband and I. Okay. Did you discuss this with any of the neighbors about how you felt or thought about these things that were happening in the neighborhood? Sure. Can you give us a time period of when this crime was happening? Was it 2018, 19? I'll just drop off the end part of that question. Can you give us a time period of when this was happening? We moved to in the neighborhood in 2004. So probably 2006 on, I mean, you know, just things happening here and there. Okay. 
The fact that the dates offered in this answer are so long ago appears to catch Sheffield off guard, and he quickly moves on to the defense theme that neighborhood residents banded together by using social media. Do you have a general concern that as a neighbor, it's a good thing to look out for one another? Yes. Is that something that you try to do? Yes, I do. Okay. Did you ever become aware of the Satilla Shores Facebook page? Yes. How did you become aware of it? Um, well, I'm a member of the, I'm on there too. So um, I forgot how I, how I heard about it, okay. but, but I joined it. All right. Have you yourself ever posted on the Facebook page? Yes. Did you at any time ever use the Facebook page to inform yourself about crime going on in Satilla Shores? I think I remember once, or maybe twice, yes. Meaning that you, you only read it once or twice, or that you posted on it once or twice? Oh, that I posted something once or twice. Okay. But okay. I read it more than once. Okay. I, I read it a lot. Sheffield then moves on to ask Clark about her own personal experience with crime in the neighborhood. Did you yourself witness any type of crime happening in the neighborhood? Or become aware of it in your own space? in the neighborhood? I didn't witness it. Did you witness any aftermath of it or anything suspicious at any time? Yes. Can you tell us what that is? Um, the neighbor across the street, I guess they were in the middle of a, um, going through their car. And Who's and, they? Okay. It was two guys that were in a car that had parked across the street from my home. And I guess they, they scared them and the one guy drove off and left the other guy in the neighborhood. Um, and that was around like two or three o'clock in the morning. So we all woke up, you know, they woke us up. Um, so I was aware of that. Okay. Is this the kind of thing that you would post for the benefit of other neighbors? I don't think I, would, I posted anything about that. Um, there was another incident that I posted about okay. because I saw some people in the neighborhood a car broke down, people walking into the neighborhood, and I did post about that, but I had called 911. And why did you post about that particular incident? Well, they were walking into the neighborhood away from their vehicle instead of walking out of the neighborhood maybe to get help or something, but, but it turned out to be a stolen vehicle, so. Okay. Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's cross-examination zeroes in on the aspects of Clark's testimony that undermine the defense assertion that property crime was a recent phenomenon in the Satilla Shores neighborhood. This incident with the two guys across from your home in the middle of the night, when did that happen? I can't remember the year. Well, uh, let me ask you this. Was it before COVID? Yes. Okay. So if we do that, was it like the 2019, 2018, or even further back? I think it was further back. Further back. And then when we talk about um, that car that was broken down, was that the car from Florida that was stolen? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that was, uh, what year? Do you remember when that was? I'm going to guess. Okay. Maybe 2016, something like that. And do you know Greg McMichael or Travis McMichael? I don't. Do you know Mr. Uh, William Roddy Bryan? I've met him one time. Mm -hmm. 
On redirect, Jason Sheffield guides Clark's testimony back towards more recent criminal activity in the neighborhood. Speaking about dates, do you recall in December of 2019 um, learning about a suspicious car coming in the neighborhood and you saying that you would go back and get the tag number of yes. the car? Is that kind of the way you're talking about trying to help neighbors? Yes. Okay. Do you recall around August of 2019 sharing some suspicions about a, an individual who was walking around the neighborhood taking pictures and that someone should run his license plate too? I can't remember that if, if I, I didn't should. remember that one. Okay. May I approach a witness? See if this refreshes your memory. Yes. Again, is that something that you were doing to try to be a helpful neighbor? Okay. That's all I have. Thank okay. you. Okay. Jason Sheffield also handles the questioning of Satilla Shores resident Jack Brinson and first asks him about his personal experience with crime in the Satilla Shores neighborhood. I want to ask you some very limited questions about your experiences in the neighborhood. Okay. Okay. At any point in time, did you become aware of ongoing crime in the neighborhood? Yes. All right. What type of crime were you aware of? The first that my experience was probably about six years ago where my vehicle was broken into and I didn't realize it until the next morning when I went to go get my coffee and you could see someone had been into in my glove box and everything was thrown around and uh, I keep a bunch of quarters in, a, in an ashtray in that car just for tire pressure, you know, things like that. And the ashtray poured out and the quarters were gone. Sheffield next asks about Mr. Brinson's awareness of reports of crime on social media. Do you know whether or not your wife is a member of the Facebook Satilla Shores page? Yes, she is. Um, are you aware whether she posts on that page? Yes, she does. Okay. Do you all discuss the types of things that are posted on the Facebook page as it may relate to crime? Yes. Okay. Sheffield concludes his questioning of Brinson by asking him about his awareness of any crime related to the property central to this case. And are you aware of any thefts occurring in Larry English's home? Yes. And did you come to understand the type of things that were stolen from this home? Yes, and okay. also a dollar without, yeah, okay. without going into what you were okay. told. Okay. And do you recall who you learned that from? Various, Just the name of the person or persons. Various, various people. Can you name them? I would say one would have been Matt Abenzi, um, uh, maybe Taylor Zachary, uh, maybe, I don't know, probably several other people, you know, where it gets around. Did you discuss these types of things with your wife and your daughter and your son-in-law? Yes. Did you all make any changes in your habits to try to address or deal with some of the crime that was going on in the neighborhood? Yes, after that first instance, as minor as it was, we did buy, we had fake cameras at that point, and we bought a camera system ourselves. And, so you had uh, fake? Yeah, we had, you know, try to just uh, <laughs> to let decide. someone think we had a camera system. Out. Okay. So then we actually went out and bought actual real cameras. Okay. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Travis McMichael's other attorney, Bob Rubin, handles the questioning of neighborhood resident Annabelle Beasley and begins by asking about her personal experiences with crime in Satilla Shores. Did there, there come a time when you yourself uh, became the victim of a property crime? Yes, I did. Could you tell us about that? Well, I was in China, and my black Honda was sitting in my driveway, and my kids, I communicated with them every day, and they discovered that the car was broken into, the door was wide open, and they had been in, so they saw that it was all ransacked. And I asked my daughter if she reported it to the police, and she said no, because the week before, somebody's Jeep was broken into, and the police uh, said, uh, you should have locked your door, there's nothing we can do about it. And since my door was unlocked, she decided not to call the police. Did you end up, when you came home from China, calling the police about it or anything? No, it was way so, past, yeah. Okay, so it was a crime that's unreported to the That police. is correct. Okay. Ruben next asks Beasley about crime on properties adjacent to Beasley's. Did you become aware of a situation where uh, Subi's cameras, Miss Lawrence's cameras, went off one night uh, in 2019? She told me about it. Okay. Yes. Did you, as a result of, of what she told you, um, did you do anything about that? Not personally, no. Didn't change security, didn't change no. your... No. I have a security system in the house. Right. Like an alarm system? Right. Okay. Um, now, you mentioned that Miss Lawrence has three kids, three boys. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you aware of those boys ever going across the street to Mr. English's house to borrow uh, some pieces of wood? No. Okay. Are you aware of them ever playing at Mr. English's house? They played with Mr. English's son. Ah. And Mr. English's son would come across and play with them. And Mr. English, when they were using scrap wood to make a ramp, he said he would build them a ramp. Okay. And do you know if that ever happened? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Did there ever come a time when when your grandchildren um, became too afraid to play outside? Yes. Did there come a time when they stopped playing outside? That's correct. And you said you didn't want them to play outside? Correct. And tell us why you and and Ms. Lawrence made the decision not to let them play outside. Because of things that happened were happening in the neighborhood. We didn't want the boys out there. We didn't want them to confront or see anything that they shouldn't. You know, we didn't want them to be a victim of anything, so. Prosecutor Paul Camarillo appears to seek to contextualize the fear articulated by Ms. Beasley by asking her to specify the type of crime that she had heard about in the neighborhood. You've been in the neighborhood a long time. Right. Okay. Um, Is it fair to say that a vast majority of these crimes that occurred in the neighborhood um, were property crimes or car break-ins and that sort of thing. Correct. Okay. Um, other than the homicide of Mr. Aubrey, violent crimes were few and far between or non-existent in the neighborhood. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. The final witness testimony on today's episode is that presented by Lindy Coffer. Coffer was actually the first neighborhood witness to take the stand after Travis McMichael, but we held her for the end of the episode because of something significant that happens at the end of her testimony. Jason Sheffield begins by asking Ms. Coffer about her awareness of crime from the neighborhood Facebook group. Had you ever been involved 
with any of the Facebook pages associated with Satilla Shores? Yes, I'm a member of the Satilla Shores homeowners uh, page. Oh, I see. And any other types of pages that involve the Exit 29 area or uh, the Satilla Shores area? Uh, sometime back, I was a member of the Exit 29 News uh, Facebook page, but I elected to come off of that because I felt they were brutal. Too much information? Rude. rude. Oh, rude. Just people being rude on social media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Ms. Coffer's answer about the Exit 29 Facebook page does not appear to fit the narrative crafted by defense attorneys Sheffield and Rubin, who previously presented it as a site where people looked out for one another. Sheffield moves on to ask Ms. Coffer about her own use of social media. Um, what kind of neighborhood is Satilla Shores, generally speaking? A rural, uh, pleasant neighborhood. Um, have you ever used the Facebook page as a source to get information about crime in the neighborhood? As I observe the Facebook page, there are many kinds of information we see. And often there would be reports of um, utility issues or crime issues as someone reported them according to their opinion. Did you get a sense that what you were reading on the Facebook page about crime specifically um, who was reporting about crime on the Facebook page? Residents. Okay. Did you post on Facebook uh, after reading things from people about crime? Uh, I think once or twice I did. Why did you do that? Um, I don't know if there's a reason why anybody posts on Facebook. Um, do you recall making statements about trying to help catch the people who were committing crimes in the neighborhood by hiding in a car and surprising them? There was one time there was a remark, something on Facebook about the activity that someone was reporting right. of what took place in the neighborhood. And I think I said on Facebook one time something about it. They had said people were breaking into vehicles. What I read was they said that. Right. And then I said something to the effect of, uh, wouldn't it be funny if someone hid in a car and surprised them? Right. Did, you, did you share posts on Facebook yourself about crime happening in the neighborhood as a way to be a, a good neighbor? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Not my own experience, own. but okay. shared someone else's. Fair enough. Sheffield also asks Lindy Coffer about her awareness of someone living under a nearby bridge, the same person that Travis and Greg McMichael visited at his encampment. Did you become aware of some squatters or uh, individuals living under the bridge at, near Satilla Shores? Yes, one. One. Did you make some comments about that on Facebook as well or discuss that with neighbors? I think recall? on Facebook I made a remark when someone said something about people they didn't recognize being in the neighborhood and things coming up missing, that I had made a remark it could have been someone, I knew someone was living under the bridge because as I went by, by boat, I saw uh, trash and I saw a person there under the bridge living there. And I thought it was possible someone had come off the highway and come into our neighborhood since it's a county road. Prosecutor Larissa Olivier rises to question the witness. Were you personally the victim of any crime? Uh, not in over 30 years. In over 30 years, and you were living in Satilla Shores for how long? Since 1976. Okay, so since then you're not personally a victim of any crime, right? Well, 
since 1976, I was, but it's been more than 30 years ago okay. that I was a victim of any crime. Okay. Do you believe that someone stealing is deserving of death penalty, uh, Mr. Coffin? Relevance, Your Honor. Right. I always drop the question, Judge. No, you've got a motion to make at this point. After a flurry of objections, Judge Timothy Walmsley invites Ms. Coffer to step down from the stand, and the jury is ushered out of the courtroom. The lawyers then argue motions in response to Larissa Olivier's question. The first argument is offered by Greg McMichael's attorney, Laura Hogue. Your Honor, I have a motion. Thank you. I would ask the court on behalf of Greg McMichael that the jury be brought back in after lunch that in front of the jury, Miss Olivier be admonished or asking a question that she knew or ought, certainly ought to have known was impermissible, as was clear by the fact that she did made no attempt to defend it. And number two, that the jury be instructed to disregard that uh, question and whatever feelings it might have made them have. And I will state for the record, I'm, because we don't have daily reports coming out, that the question was, do you believe that someone stealing is deserving of the death penalty? It's inappropriate, it's incendiary, it's prejudicial, it's improper, and we ask that she be sanctioned in front of the jury for having done that in such a, in any case, but in such a serious case. Uh, without pushing the court, I would ask that if the court wishes to hear from the state, from the prosecutor who made that remark, that she be asked to respond to it now, just as we needed to provide this request at the moment that it happened and contemporaneous with the error. Fair enough. I don't even say. Yes, Your Honor. Um, I believed it was an appropriate question for Ms. Kofer, um, given that I had her on cross-examination. I thought it was an appropriate question. Okay. Matters under advisement. After Prosecutor Olivier offers her response to the objections, Judge Walmsley announces the lunch recess. When the parties return from lunch, William Roddy Bryan's attorney, Kevin Goff, argues for a mistrial. I don't see how we unring the bell, how the jurors unhear what they heard, uh, and I don't know how the court it without bringing more attention to other issues. I mean, the, I thought the state was all concerned about talking about punishment and penalties and stuff. I thought this was an issue we discussed before trial, and I don't know how the court addresses this to the jury without bringing attention to punishment issues in the case. It's just unfortunate, and, and obviously it uh, was arguably intentional. Uh, in, the, in the question itself, it, it wasn't, uh, we've already heard a statement, it was not an accident, it wasn't a, a, a misspeak of words, it, it was intentional. Uh, and we think that a mistrial is the only remedy under the circumstances. From the other defendants on the motion. We are waiting to see what you do about our motion to admonish and curative instruction. I agree with Ms. O. From the state. To the discretion of the court. Judge Walmsley then renders his decision on the defense motions. All right. Um, yeah, the court indicated that I'd take the lunch break to, to think through exactly what to do. Um, and uh, the court 
does find that the question that was presented was inflammatory and irrelevant uh, and completely unnecessary, particularly given the witness that was on the stand. It has potentially injected into this case issues not appropriate for the jury and which were in fact discussed and brought up pre-trial. Counsel should have known that this was a um, question that should not have been asked and therefore counsel is admonished by the court and is instructed not to repeat such actions subject to the contempt powers of the court. The court will instruct the jury that the state has been admonished based on the question. I'm not going to repeat the question and I'm going to instruct them to disregard the question asked and any implications arising therefrom. That is the intent of the court. The motion for mistrial is going to be denied with the court finding that the admonishment is uh, the appropriate remedy and the instruction to the panel addresses the matter presented. After the jury returns to the courtroom, Judge Walmsley addresses them. All right, welcome back. Hopefully everybody enjoyed their lunch. Uh, before we begin, ladies and gentlemen, an improper question was asked of the last witness that the state knew or should have known was objectionable. Accordingly, the court has admonished the state and has ordered that the actions are not to be repeated. You are instructed to disregard the glass question asked and any implications arising therefrom. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Join us on our next episode as we continue our examination of witness testimony presented by the defense in the trial. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. <laughs>